Before I get, which is pretty likely, you could uh, re, uh, keep your hymnal open to uh, the front, page 231, and that will take you to into the uh, service of Vespers, but on page 231 near the bottom is uh, the canticle, and it is the Magnificat that Mary sang and that we observe today. This has been a strange Christmas season for me because it seems like it's just barreling through town, kicking up dust, and hardly will be around for very long. And when I realize that it's next Friday, that put a chill in my heart because I'm not ready for it and my wife's not ready for it and I've been talking with other folks who aren't ready for it. I guess we should get together and commiserate. So it seems like Christmas, if it does seem like Christmas is charging down, I worked on this little statement a long time, so you're gonna hear it. If it seems like Christmas is charging down on us like a freight train rolling down a steep mountain grade, well, it is. And for that reason, I think it's fitting that we need to stop and spend a little time with the Virgin Mary and her cousin Elizabeth. Mary is certainly a most important person on the road to Bethlehem. Her expectations and emotions are critical to understanding how it was, what it was like for she and Joseph, her husband-to-be, to live in the small community of Bethlehem, as we heard our uh, children's message discuss. Luke gives us a snapshot of what Mary was feeling during her pregnancy from early on to the birth, to the birth of Jesus. She was about one month pregnant when she visited Elizabeth, her cousin, and Elizabeth herself was three months pregnant with her son, John, who would be preparing people for the ministry of Christ when they're adults. Now this meeting of Mary and Elizabeth was the meeting of miracles because Elizabeth was an elderly woman, past childbearing years. Both of them, Mary and Elizabeth, are mothers for the first time. So you can only imagine the conversations they had as, as their pregnancies progressed and Mary remained with Elizabeth for about three months. So Luke captures for us some of the excitement they experienced. And it was rather dramatic, wouldn't you say? That as soon as Mary arrives and greets Elizabeth and the household, the unborn John within Elizabeth's, Elizabeth's womb leaps within her. And in response, Mary explodes with joy over the great things God has done and is doing now in her life and the lives of other people. Martin Luther really enjoyed writing commentaries and notes about the Virgin Mary and her family. He penned these words in a commentary that was 35 pages long, devoted to just nine verses of scripture. Martin Luther had this to say, now in all of scripture, I do not know anything that serves a purpose so well as this sacred hymn of the most blessed mother of God. In it, she sings sweetly about the fear of God, what sort of Lord he is, and especially what his dealings are with those of low and high estate. So let someone else listen to his, to his love singing a worldly ditty. This pure virgin well deserves to be heard by a prince and a Lord as she sings him her sacred, chaste, and salutary song. 
but may we all draw from it a wholesome knowledge and praiseworthy life and sing this Magnificat eternally in heaven. That's just a little bit of Luther. But taken as a whole, we should realize that the words that Elizabeth speaks and the words that Mary sings really is the first preaching of the gospel in the New Testament era. After all, Mary carries within her the unborn gospel in the flesh, and she refers to the redeeming action that God has performed for his people. She speaks of God's mercy and justice, and from her soul, not just her natural human consciousness, but deeper into that place where God meets us, from her soul, she speaks of God's mercy and justice and heaps praise on the name of the Lord for all that he has done. And do you know something It's not something she made up or God is just making her speak out? She's had these experiences. She is aware of God's tendency to favor the, the down and out, the least of the least. And she is just constantly amazed that God would consider her worthy to carry the Son of God to birth. She is, after all, a sinner. She is like us, born with a sinful human nature, and she was raised in a home according to the Jewish law and traditions of the time. We don't know much about her at all, especially the status of her family, but God has shown over the years, a pattern of time and time again of choosing the least notable people to do the most notable things. And we know these people as the heroes and we honor them as such, but it's not their power that they're using, it's the power of God in their lives that enables someone like Moses to go into Egypt, the most powerful nation of his time, and lead millions of slaves out of Egypt or a simple shepherd boy named David to go down to a creek in the middle of a battlefield to destroy the biggest enemy to Israel with a single stone and a sling. And then later, he will establish a kingdom that will be ruled forever by his direct descendant, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. This ordinary girl sound, somehow understands that God has chosen her for great things, not because of what she's done, of what God has done within her. Mary will be the bridge that connects the Old Testament prophecy with their New Testament fulfillment. She carries the Savior of the world, her personal Savior, within her as she walks out of the prophetic world and into the fulfilled word. From her soul, she praises God and lifts him up. Her spirit, her redeemed human nature, rejoices in her redemption and living in the physical presence of God, Mary gives us a glimpse of what we will be doing in heaven when we see her. And when I see her in heaven, I wouldn't be a bit surprised that she'll be leading all of us in praising God for what he's done within all of us. Well, that's the good news about the text today. And, but there's more news that we didn't read about, and it's not so good, and it kind of goes good, bad, and then comes out really good. As I said, Mary has been raised in a traditional Jewish home. Her cousins, Zechariah, who's a priest in the Jerusalem temple, and his wife, Elizabeth, 
are well-versed in prophecy and scripture. And so Mary probably knows all the prophecies about the Messiah. Mary knows that the Messiah will be born by a virgin, but now she understands that she is that virgin. She will also be aware about the prophecies that describe the Messiah's suffering and death. She would have been familiar with the Isaiah scriptures that talk about how people would reject him. That suffering and death would pay for the sin of the whole world. Mary doesn't know that as she sits there with Elizabeth that eight days after her Christ child's birth, she will hear the news that his death and suffering will pierce her soul like a sword. And there in the temple, she hears how he will, how he will redeem Israel, but has to die to do it. And she will be a witness to it all. But you know, in spite of all of this, Mary still sings with joy about the great work God is doing in her life, with her life, and the lives of her people. In 33 years, a short time in her lifespan, her joy will turn to sorrow as she does witness the crucifixion of her son, who is fulfilling the promises of God. However, the sorrow in the crucifixion evening will be replaced by joy in the resurrection morning as he walks out of his tomb to greet his mother. We too can rejoice with Mary. What God has done in her life, God does with us. We don't idolize her as an object of honor and blessing, but we do celebrate with her as recipients of God's mercy and grace. We could be, we could be singing our own Magnificats. After all, we carry the presence of Christ in our lives. In John 14, verse 22, Jesus said, If any man loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. God is talking about long-term residence within us. And you know, we've all received the mercies of God in some form or at some time and at some place, and that's something to write about and sing about too. It could have been through a Stephen minister or a friend or something you saw on television or heard in conversation. But on the other hand, we've also been in the position of building thrones for ourselves, lifting ourselves above others, at least in our thoughts and our mind. And when we've done that, haven't we experienced God setting in motion people and events that cut us down to size? We remember the times we hoped for support and God, and God fulfilled the need we had. But then when we selfishly kept on getting and keeping the resources we didn't need anymore, didn't we see them just all go away? But however, in general, we, we don't have to look beyond ourselves to see the mercies that God provides daily. They are new every morning, and they are for us every morning. So I ask you now to join me, as I mentioned earlier when I started, that we read the Magnificat at the bottom of page 231. We stand to read. Thank you. As you are able, please stand. And we read, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowliness of his handmaiden. For behold, from this day 
All generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things to me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Amen. Amen.